Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our Rock Harbor Church services for this week. Things have changed, as you know, with the coronavirus that's become a pandemic. Churches have shut down. They can no longer meet anymore. The state of California has put a mandate that we can no longer meet. The school that we're in, we couldn't meet with them anymore because they closed down. So now we're meeting from our studio here in California, and we're going to broadcast our worship service and our sermons through the venue of YouTube so that our folks can tune in on the internet and those around the world that watch us can tune in as well. And you may be out there not having a church close to you. You may be bunkered in because of this coronavirus So we want to invite you to join us for our study today as we look at the scriptures and invite you to become part of our virtual church. And we're going to have to be a virtual church for some time now. We don't know how long it's going to be until we can get back in our facilities and meet again publicly. This might be months, might go into the summer, we don't know, but we're going to continue to broadcast our church services and our sermons through our YouTube channel. So thanks for joining us. What I was going to do this week is I had planned to do something to fit the situation that we're in right now, and I was going to do a brand new sermon. But when I looked at our series, and we're in the series of Exodus, we're looking at Moses' life. When I looked at the passage today that we're in, it fit with what we're going through. So I thought it was apropos for us to look into this passage, study what Moses did, and learn from it because it will help us in dealing with the crisis that we have going on today. Moses, 3,500 years ago, and the Israelites were in a crisis, just like you and I are in a crisis. This pandemic that's blown all over the world has now forced the shutdown of work and businesses and schools, and you're probably home now because your church can't meet, and so it's changed our life. There is a crisis. There's a pandemic that threatens the health of individuals, and so I thought this was a good scripture and a good place to be to learn from what Moses did and what he shouldn't have done and learn from him to tell us what we should be doing during a national crisis like this. So we're going to look at Exodus 2, verses 11 through 15, and I've entitled this, God Makes a Path. When we're in a crisis, when Moses and the Israelites were in a crisis, God made a path for the Israelites, and God will make a path for us. But the issue is, how do you find the path? How do you know when to see it? Because a lot of people will say, well, where is God in all of this? And they will question that. Why is God allowing this to happen? And especially even Christians will start questioning this, especially those Christians who have been cut off from prophecy. I want to make a special note about that. LifeWay Research has noted that 98% of the sermons preached here in America have nothing to do with prophecy or the end times. So most Christians have had their spiritual vision blinded because they don't know the prophetic roadmap. But you and I who know prophecy, have read the scriptures and read prophecy, understand that this coronavirus is accelerating the last days in many ways. It is accelerating the idea of a one world government. It is accelerating the idea of a one world tracking system, a one world cashless system that they're wanting to implement. And so all of this has given the globalists and the elitists cause to say, hey, look, we need to put these things in place for the safety and security of the people, for health reasons or whatnot. And so you and I are watching this, and we're seeing this prophetically happen just as God said it would. That brings us a lot of hope in many senses because what God said is happening. But a lot of Christians don't know that. A lot of Christians are clueless about this. They have no idea. And so they're blinded in many ways of not knowing this prophetic roadmap. Well, even on a personal level, we can face individual crises. And you might be going through a personal crisis right now, not only with this coronavirus, but things in your family, things in your home, maybe with your health, I don't know. But whatever you're going through, you're gonna learn some lessons from Moses in this passage. Because a lot of us go through life and life didn't turn out the way we wanted it to. And that causes us some personal crises in our own own lives. 
reality didn't turn out the way we wanted it to. And so, you know, you're at this point now, you didn't think you would feel this way emotionally. Some people are really scared right now because of this coronavirus. They're panicking. The media has hyped this up so bad that they're freaking out. And so they're having a hard time grasping reality. When you're in this state and you don't know what to do, you're going to feel helpless and you're going to feel hopeless. But however you feel in a crisis like this, we have to turn to God. We have to tune in with him. We have to start fellowshipping very closely with him and trusting him for guidance and direction during this period of time. Don't go away from God. Go to him. And what you'll see is that God will somehow carve a path for you and I to navigate through these troubled waters. And that's the key we're going to learn today. Because if we take matters in our own hand and we don't trust God and we run to our own way of doing life and dealing with reality, we will create a human path that we'll be on, a path that we created, and we can complicate our lives by creating other smaller crises in our own life. And so we're going to see Moses do that today. And we don't want to do that. We're going to learn from a bad example. But as far as trusting God, I'm not asking if you believe in God. That's a given. We're talking about trusting God during hard times for his provision, his protection, his presence. And so we see people running around our society that don't know God, who are trying to provide their own security. And so they're, they're raiding the grocery stores, taking everything off the shelf, hoarding. They're getting into fights over different things and, and items at the grocery store. And again, if you want to know what someone believes, just look at their actions. These runs on the stores, these runs on the bank, people are losing a grip on reality now. And some of them are even resorting to criminal activity. Some people here locally were going to like a smart and final and got jumped coming out of it by people stealing their stuff, stealing the commodities they had bought from the grocery store. That's what happens during these periods of time when people don't trust God and they trust themselves. So they make their own path. But understand as believers, God can intervene. He can intervene in our lives and change the most hopeless of situations. And we need God right now to show us the way through this crisis, this coronavirus crisis or any crisis you're going through. The biggest lesson we can learn with our walk with the Lord is that even when bad things happen, we don't understand why, that we can trust God to be present, to be loving, to be caring, to give us strength, to give us guidance. He works on our behalf. And he carves out a path for each and one of us to navigate through these troubled waters. The biggest problem we will have during these types of crises is failing to believe a path even exists that God can provide. And it does, but we fail to believe there's one there. So the question is, how do we find the way that God provides? How do we find the path that he lays out before us? that transcends the crisis we're undergoing. Well, that's what we're going to look at with Moses. So let me give you the setting. We're looking at a setting of Moses' early life. He's now a man, but there still is a crisis in Egypt. Obviously, the Egyptian slavery of the Jews and the attempt to kill every Hebrew baby boy, which Moses was providentially rescued from, as you recall, and basically what was happening now is that Pharaoh had erased all legislation from the time of Joseph that protected the Jews. And interesting enough, Pharaoh was a master at propaganda, just like the globalists and the leftists are today. And he used propaganda against the Jews, telling the Egyptians, hey, we're going to be attacked from within. We've got to do something about these people. They're too numerous. We're going to lose our country to them. It's kind of like what our media has done with this coronavirus. Don't get me wrong, the coronavirus is real, and it's a threat, no doubt about it. But the media hype on this and the propaganda that's been coming out is, we're all going to die. All the supplies are gone. And so they sensationalize it to create fear, mass hysteria, and panic. And that is exactly what they have done. It's been a good experiment for the globalists and the left to see how easy it is to manipulate people through propaganda. Well, that's what Pharaoh was doing. And the Egyptians believed it. 
when you see historically, every time propaganda is used, the mass and majority of people believe it. By the way, since we're talking about the coronavirus, let me do an aside here. There are a lot of funny coincidences that don't add up about this virus. It is a real virus. But let me ask you this question. Why did Bill Gates meet with a bunch of global and rich elites back in October of 2019 in New York at an event called Event 201 to wargame the coronavirus? Think about that. They wargamed the coronavirus. And in fact, they gave away plush coronavirus stuffed animals to all the attendees who came to it. That's pretty sick. But why were they doing that? And then, by the way, a coronavirus popped up late December in Wuhan, China. Interesting, isn't it? Incidentally, this is why Gates and other global elitists want to team up with big pharmaceutical companies to combine vaccinations with implantable microchips to create your own personal digital ID. And if you want to look at this, go online, and it's called ID2020, and read what they want to do. Their goal is to give every human being on Earth a digital ID by combining mandatory vaccinations with implantable microchips. The microchips are about the size of a grain of rice. But that's what they want to do. They're using this crisis to further the attempts for globalism and a tracking device. And we know as prophecy students, hey, that's exactly what the Bible said would happen, right? They're going to leverage immunizations as a means of inserting microchips into people's bodies. What's happening here? Well, you remember the phrase from Rahm Emanuel, and he stole the phrase basically from Saul Alinsky, never let a crisis go to waste. That's what they're doing. And they're pushing the gas and the accelerator on the car full speed. Well, anyway, Pharaoh did the same thing. He created a false threat. The coronavirus is not a false threat. It's a real threat. But Pharaoh created a false threat to get the sanctioning of enslaving Jews and to exterminate them. So he created a crisis and used it to fulfill his desires, right? So that's what's happening. The globalists, the leftists are using this to get their goals accomplished. And so there's something bigger going on with this whole coronavirus. But again, as prophecy students, we know that when you do the research about this, this virus came out of a Chinese lab from Wuhan and it was a leaked bioweapon. Whether it was by accident or on purpose, we don't know. But again, they're using this to push a one-world currency, a one-world government, and a cashless system. Interesting, isn't it? Anyway, I do digress, but let's go back. We're going to learn from a bad example from Moses about how not to function in a time of crisis by trying to carve out your own path. And we will derive from his bad example what God wants us to do to find the path he provides through a crisis. So, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11, and the passage reads like this. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown. So, what we're talking about is 36 years have passed. Moses is obviously was found by the daughter of Pharaoh, if you recall. And so now he's a grown man. And people will say, well, why did Moses skip over almost his entire life? He skipped over about, you know, almost 40 years. He talked about his birth, but then he skips to being him being a man at this age. Well, the ancients didn't write like you and I do, where we write every detail out about a biography of an individual. The ancients wrote about the highlights of the individual. So with Moses, he wrote about his birth, which was miraculous in one sense of being saved and rescued. And then now he skips to the other highlight of his life. It's kind of the way the gospel writers write about our Lord. They write about our Lord's birth because it is miraculous. And then from his birth, they talk about his bar mitzvah. And then from there, they start off at 30 years old. So that's how the ancients wrote. They didn't do a full biography. So back to the scriptures, and it says that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And basically, Moses had by this time identified with the Israelites. He saw himself as an Israelite. He knew he was Hebrew. Obviously, he was Jochebed and his sister Miriam and Aaron. He knew he was Hebrew. 
And he identified with the oppression that was happening to his own people. And he distanced himself from the Egyptians. Moses had heard and knew of the severity of slavery. And finally, Moses, at this age, decided to check on it for himself. So it was kind of like he had heard about it, but he had to go there to see it happen. He knew about the slave labor growing up. He had to have known. But he didn't know how harsh it was until he got there on the scene. And sometimes that's what you have to do. You hear about something, but you actually have to go on the scene to see it. Well, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 24, provides another perspective on this verse. And I want to highlight it. It says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to the reward. Again, folks, Moses could have stayed in the palace and enjoyed the good life and identified as an Egyptian prince. He had power, he had wealth, he had it all. However, Moses knew he was a Hebrew and that God had made a covenant with his ancestor Abraham that extended to the Hebrew people. Moses knew he was part of the plan of God as a Jew. And so he forsook all the privileges of an Egyptian prince and sided with God's people. And by doing this, it was a guarantee. Think about this. By doing this, it guaranteed he'd be mistreated and he would be put into a slave class. But he recognized that the Egyptian position was on the wrong side of history and was sinful on a human level. But it was also wrong on a theological level since it, it went against the Abrahamic covenant. And you, you know the Abrahamic covenant. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you in Genesis 12.3. Moses knew that. Moses knew what Pharaoh was doing. And he was attacking God's people. So he took God's people's side. And Moses put himself on the right side of history as Pharaoh put himself on the wrong side of history. The path that Moses needed to be on was the path with the Hebrews, which was where he started, which was good. Moses starts on the right path. God's chosen people had a destiny, and it was given to them by God through a promise. So Moses starts out initially on the right path. Great. And this idea, I wanted to point this out. It says in the the writer of Hebrews points out that esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches. Well, in the New Testament, That is what is meant by taking up your cross and following Christ daily. It means to identify with the Messiah's sufferings and the shame given to us by this world. That we are not embarrassed to be publicly shamed by this world. Persecution will come to us because of this. And Moses knew this. Whether it's soft persecution, verbal persecution, legal persecution, or even hard physical persecution. And so that's where Moses was. He was willing to forsake that to be shamed by the world, and then to be identified with God's people. So we applaud Moses. Moses is very courageous in doing this. He has a lot of faith. And so Moses is one of our heroes. But Moses is also human, and he makes flaws. So let's go to the scriptures now. And it says this, And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he comes down, checks it out, and it's worse than he thought or even had heard of. It's cruel and inhumane. And so Moses' anger builds where he becomes enraged on how his brothers are being treated. And it shows the strength of Moses' feelings for his own people. Then verse 12 says this, So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian. This was his first attempt at delivering his people, but he was acting without God. He was acting alone, and he was acting in secret, and he was relying on his own strength, his own wisdom, and through all of that, he failed miserably. He got off the path in the middle of this crisis. He started on the path, but now he's off. He's created his own path. And obviously, the beating was probably witnessed by many people, And and it appears in the text that Moses perhaps waited until the Egyptian was alone. Perhaps he followed him. And then he killed him there. Because this idea of he looked this way and that way is the idea that there's something he's premeditating. 
And there's a, a degree of premeditation in the passage in Moses' murdering of this Egyptian because uh, it wasn't just on the spot. He waited till he can get this guy alone, and then he killed him. And then it says, and he hid him in the sand. Being in Egypt, there's a lot of sand. This is an easy way, the quickest way to get rid of a body. So he buried it real fast in the sand to conceal the act. And isn't it funny? Anytime we get off the path, we get into sin, and the first thing we want to do is conceal it. And so Moses does the same pattern. He's off the path. And Stephen recounts this situation in his address to the Sanhedrin in Acts 7. And it's interesting that Stephen pinpoints this act. And I think it's worth noting. Of all the possible events in Moses' life that Stephen includes, he includes this story. Stephen, as you recall, he's indicting the Jewish leadership for following Moses instead of God. And he tells them of this incident. Stephen points out that if you guys followed Moses, or you claim to follow Moses, but you don't even know the implications of Moses' life and his teachings, you don't even know him as a man. You have missed it entirely. That's Stephen's point to the Sanhedrin. Stephen was basically saying, you don't understand who Moses was. He's a man, not God. He made mistakes. Moses' law was meant to drive you guys to your knees since you cannot keep the law and you fail to be perfect. Therefore, righteousness must be obtained from outside of yourself from God by faith in the Messiah. Moses couldn't keep the law. He murdered somebody. That's what this incident shows. He couldn't keep the law. And neither can the Sanhedrin and neither can you and I with Stephen's point. So you must trust in the Messiah who did keep the law and can give you his righteousness as if you had kept the law yourself and paid for your sins for not keeping the law by a sacrifice on the cross. That's the message he was, was trying to give them using this example. So did Moses struggle to find the path? He sure did. He thought he could take care of this crisis on his own and deliver Israel on his own without God. And that's a fatal mistake. He didn't reach out to God for help. Did you see in the text anywhere where Moses prays to God and say, what should I do? Give me some help. He doesn't include God. He didn't seek the Lord and what he should do. He took matters into his own hands. And that is a very dangerous prospect for not only Moses, but for you and I in the middle of a crisis. Do not take matters into your own hands. Moses planned the deliverance of Israel because of his background. He was well-educated. He was trained. He was logical. And he was conventionally thinking that, well, hey, I have royal background, I have an education, I have success. I know how to deliver these people. I have sympathy for them. I'm the right guy to do it. But Moses needed help and he didn't realize it. What Moses didn't realize is how bankrupt he really was. He didn't realize that he needed someone greater than himself to tell him what to do and provide what he couldn't provide. And most people see this as kind of a weakness or a crutch that you and I need God to help us, but it isn't true. Are you and I weak because we need air? Are you and I weak because we need food and water? No, those are not signs of weakness, but signs that we were created in such a way as to reach outside of ourselves to find the things that we need each and every day. That's how we're created. Moses didn't understand that. He came from a royal background where people, people gave him everything he wanted. He had everything at his disposal. And so he kept that mindset, and that's what put him off the path. He needed to understand he couldn't do a single move, a single thing, without God's direction and provision. And we need to understand that in the middle of our crisis. You know there's no self-made people, right? God made us. We did not make ourselves, nor did we design life and how it's supposed to work. God did. I like what the psalmist says in Psalm 103, uh, 100 verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, not, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. God designed life in, in a way that signals to us that we are not supposed to make our own way. We do not possess the ability to do that. 
When we put our trust in God for providing guidance, wisdom, open doors, healing, comfort, the ability to forgive, skills and abilities, the ability to love, to give us hope, courage, to live morally, and what actions we should be taking in a given situation, we go to God for them. He provides that. And all his resources are limitless because he's an infinite being. We are doing the one thing when we go to God that humans can do to reach past human knowledge, human wisdom, human strength, because we get in touch with our creator who is infinite and all-wise and all-knowing and all-powerful. So the first thing Moses should have understood that we all, and basically we all need to understand this, is that we are not God. We are limited creatures. We do not have all the answers. We will not be able to figure it all out. We simply do not know it all. And especially now in the crisis that we're in, the coronavirus, I can't figure what's true and what's not. There's facts and figures flying everywhere. I don't know what's fake news. I don't know what's real news sometimes. We can't figure it out. There's a lot of voices speaking into this crisis and a lot of rumors and things flying around. Who are you to believe? God. We're to believe God. He knows it and he will guide us. That's who we go to. He is our shepherd, our leader, our general. That's what Moses didn't understand. And God has designed life to work in a certain way. And he is the only one that can successfully navigate us through this life. He is the only one that can show you a way through it. Not only in salvation, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And if, by the way, incidentally, if you do not know him, he wants you to come under his shepherding. And he wants to be your savior. I'll talk a little bit later about salvation after the sermon. But he wants to be our shepherd. He created you and I. And he loves us. He wants the best for us. He knows what's best for us. He wants you to be saved and follow him as the good shepherd leads us beside still waters. He is the only one in this world that can protect us, that can give us security that we need, that can provide for us, that can lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. Nothing in this world can do that. And his desire for you and I right now in this crisis is to follow him very closely in discipleship so he can show us how to live during this period of time, how to navigate through all these rough waters. So at this time, you and I have to realize that we're going to come face to face with our own limitations in a crisis like this. It will be abundantly clear that you and I have no control about what's happening around us. Things are shutting down. Just like I told you about the church being shut down, we have no control over that. And what you and I will find is that we will have finite resources and we will have to figure out through the Lord how to get resources. Because if you go to the store, the shelves are empty, right? So you're, we're gonna go, have to go to our Heavenly Father to find these resources and he will point them out to us. He can solve the myriad of problems that, that is coming our way. And there's gonna be more, by the way. So going to our heavenly father who knows the best course of action is the right move. But Moses didn't do that. Moses then complicates things, right? So let's pick up in verse 13. And when he went out the second day, so this is the next day after he murders the Egyptian, behold, Two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Again, Moses is relying on himself, getting in the middle of a fight between two Hebrews, and again, he, he's making the same mistake. Again, he's trying to be a deliverer, but he's not trusting in God's resources or God's guidance. And this is what happens when you don't include God in your actions or plans in the midst of a crisis. You either do one of two things. You will either do the same thing again, thinking this time it'll be different. I can make some adjustments here and there, and I'll just try it again. But as you all know, that is the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over again, expecting different results. And that's what Moses did. I'll just try it again the next day. The other thing that people do, if they don't do the insane thing of trying things over and over again, is they simply don't do anything at all. Now, Moses chose the first option, but a lot of people choose the second option. 
They try and try and try, and then they finally just give up. They get tired and they stop. But neither of these options will work in trying to find the path that God has laid out for us. Because when you do these two options, the person is looking towards their own resources, their own strength, their own power, and their own knowledge. We have to go beyond that. And that's where we find the path. In verse 14, it says this, Then he said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Wow. Notice the phrase that the Hebrew said to him, Who made you a prince and a judge? A prince would be a ruler, a king, and then uh, that has the authority to rule over, and a judge is those, the one who makes the law. Eventually, Moses would have these titles as Moses ruled over Israel and managed Israel, not as a king or a prince, but he just governed them. And then he did show them the law of God. So he became the ruler and judge over them eventually. But that came later on when he had to learn all the lessons first. And then it says, do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So one of these Hebrews was voicing what other Jews probably felt. In spite of their own crisis, they rejected Moses as a deliverer. And this is interesting. Acts 7, 23 through 25, explains that Moses did this, that he started intervening with the Egyptian and in this situation to defend and avenge the beaten Israelite, but also with the expectation that his fellow Israelites would recognize him as their deliverer. And he was wrong. So Moses assumed a lot. And this is the problem when you create your own path. You assume too much. You fill in gaps that you don't know. And that's how people operate sometimes when they don't have those gaps filled in by God. They just go beyond and just assume a lot of things. And those assumptions got Moses in trouble and will get you and I in trouble. I want you to take note of this phrase. This idea of who made you a prince or judge is an expression of one of rejection. And it's very similar to the parable of the Minas in Luke 19.14, where Jesus used the phrase. In Luke 19.14, it says, But his citizens hated him and sent him a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. In that parable, Jesus had put himself in that parable, and the first century religious leaders were the men who were saying, we will not have this man, Jesus the Messiah, rule over us. Interesting enough that Moses is a typology for the Messiah. Israel rejects Moses' first offer of being a deliverer, but when you project forward in the scripture, when he comes back to him a second time, they accept him. And the same pattern you see with Jesus with Israel. The first coming, Israel rejects him as a deliverer, But in the second coming, just right up to the second coming, they will accept him as their deliverer. So it's the same typology. So when you look at Moses, a lot of things that happen with Moses will parallel or be a typology for the Lord's life as well. So it's very interesting that the scriptures, all through the scriptures, will have this typology going all the time that points to Jesus. The problem Moses is having by trying to be their deliverer is he's trying to approach Israel without God's stamp of approval. The Jews needed to know through signs that God had appointed Moses. As the Apostle Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 1.22, For the Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. If you know Jewish culture, and you know the Old Testament, and even the New Testament, the Jewish people will always ask for a sign to authenticate the person. Okay? Moses needed God's stamp of approval to be their deliverer, and he didn't have it. He did it on his own. And if you parallel with Jesus, now Jesus did have God's stamp of approval at the first coming. He attested his approval by God's voice saying, this is my beloved son. On three occasions, God gave his approval to the Messiah. And he did it through signs and miracles and whatnot. He proved that he was Messiah. So Messiah had God's stamp of approval with him. But Moses didn't. Moses went in there without it. Also, 
The other thing that probably upset the Jews when Moses tries to be their deliverer is that he put the Jews in jeopardy. Moses creates another crisis for them. So news about the murder spread fast. An Egyptian overseer is now missing. So obviously an investigation would probably be underway, and the thought would be that the Egyptians are going to punish all the Hebrews for this murdering of an Egyptian overseer. So what Moses had tried to do had backfired on him, and it was going to get a lot of people in trouble. Maybe make their workday harder. Who knows? Maybe they would just randomly take Jews out and beat them or whatever and scourge them as an example. He had taken matters into his own hands and in his own human wisdom chose the wrong path and it made the Jews not only suspicious of him, but put them in the crosshairs of the Egyptians. But God is still working providentially through Moses' life. Moses has made a big mistake. He's got himself in trouble. He's got the Jews in trouble. He's he's done a lot of stuff. But God is still working through his providence. And the same thing goes for us. Understand that in the midst of crisis, even if we compound the crisis with our own issues that we create by not being on the path, God can turn them into a blessing in the long run because everything Moses is going through, making mistakes, he's going to learn from. And he's never going to repeat them again. He's going to take 40 years to learn them, but he will come out better at the end. And that sometimes happens to us, even though we make these mistakes and create our own problems in the midst of another problem. So Moses fears what's happening because he says, okay, they apparently know what, that I killed somebody. And so he says in the scriptures, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. So obviously the testimony during this investigation of this crime must have pointed directly to Moses. We don't know how it did. Maybe someone saw him. I don't know. But it went back and Pharaoh knew it had been Moses. And again, at this point, uh, I don't think Pharaoh likes Moses too much. Remember. Moses chose to disassociate with Egypt and associate and identify with the Hebrews. So so according to Pharaoh, he's nothing but a turncoat. He's rejected his Egyptian family for his Hebrew family. He's a traitor. And so now the traitor kills somebody, an Egyptian overseer? Forget it. It's off with his head at this point in time. He's public enemy number one, and they're going to go after him. Again, Moses created his own personal crisis. Now his life is in danger. And in the midst of the crisis for Israel, he's created a crisis for Israel, another crisis, a secondary crisis. So he's created a mess. And this is what we call complicating life. And we complicate life when we're not on the right path, when we're not with God on his path. And Moses trusted in himself rather than God. He trusted in his own resources rather than God. He trusted in his own wisdom rather than God's. And he looked at the mess he created. So folks, when we don't look beyond ourselves to God's resources, we can mess up our lives pretty bad. We can mess up others we love. We can create problems for them, problems for ourselves. So what's Moses' option at this point? He's going to flee. He's going to run. He's got to leave because Pharaoh's going to kill him. And now he's going to go to a different part of the world. And it says in the scriptures, Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. Now, this is all part of God's plan to train Moses. Understand that even though Moses is making a mess of things, God is going to use this. Moses needed to be humbled. He needed to be separated from his Egyptian ties. Remember, Moses grew up in the palace And in that palace, he learned that he was number one. He learned that he had the resources. He had the money to do everything. And that has to be taken out of him. He's not ready spiritually to be the leader of Israel because there's some pride in him. It's interesting to note that after Moses goes all through these trials and and living and meeting for 40 years, Moses is called the most humble man of scripture. But he, he didn't start off that way. And so the only place Moses could go, obviously, was Midian. The Midianites 
if you recall, were descended from Abraham through his wife Keturah. Remember her in Genesis 25 too? And they lived in the area of central and northern Sinai, the Sinai Peninsula. In addition, their main location was there in Saudi Arabia, which Moses traveled. And so it was there that Moses ends up for 40 years. Moses is going to be taught a very powerful lesson for the next 40 years in Midian. He's going to learn that he not only needs to look to God for his resources, but also how God provides those resources. Jesus gave the principle that Moses is going to learn for 40 years. And it's in Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is what Moses is going to learn, how to seek God first before doing anything before needing anything, is always to seek God. And that's what you and I have to do in the midst of a crisis. And our whole life needs to be lived this way. Anytime we need help, we don't just step out and do something. We don't use conventional wisdom. We have to go to God first. Seek first His kingdom. Seek God first. Get what God says about it. Because you say, well, I've done this many, many times. I know the lay of the land. No, you don't. It might be different this time. And only God would know if it's different. So in the middle of all this, we have to go to God first. It seems juvenile. It seems like Christianity one-on-one, but yet you'll find Christians and even Moses, he doesn't do it. He doesn't go to God and say, what, do you, what would you have me to do? Or I need this supply, Lord. Where, where do you want me to go? How do I, you want me to get this? And that's what Moses is going to learn for the next 40 years. And he's going to come back and illustrate that very well in front of Israel once he learns the lesson. Lastly, the last part of this verse, I want you to note note this. And he sat down by a well. Interesting, this well, by tradition, is in Saudi Arabia. And you have a few clips of what it looks like here. And the tradition is this is the well that Moses came and sat by in Midian. And we'll see later on he meets the daughters of Japheth there. But by tradition, this is where it's at. If this is the same well, it's 3,500 years old. It's very old. We don't know if there's any water there, but this is by tradition. And incidentally, the place of Mount Sinai, the place of the splitting of the rock, all is in Saudi Arabia. It's not in the Sinai Peninsula. It's all in Saudi Arabia. The problem is we can't get in there, but some people have ventured in. And it's interesting, on the mountain of Moses there in Saudi Arabia, the top of the mountain is black. You have altars at the bottom. You have barriers around the mountain. You can see the rock that Moses split. And again, if you want to look into this any further, just look at the true Mount Sinai. Just type it in on a Google search or or a YouTube search, and it will show you videos of where the real Mount Sinai is. So a lot of what Moses did in Midian was in what we call Saudi Arabia. So this well is located in Saudi Arabia. Anyway, this fugitive, Moses, because he's in fugitive mode, who took matters into his own hands and didn't include God, didn't ask for God's provision, now has to sit by a well in Midian Midian as an outcast. This is interesting. He's learning a lesson. This is his first lesson right here after he ran. This is the consequences of his actions of acting without God, going ahead of God, not trusting his provision and direction. So metaphorically, what you want to see here, the teaching lesson here is Moses will sit down spiritually by a well that he didn't dig, but has a vital resource of water in it. So if you catch the metaphor here is he did nothing to dig this well, and the water that comes up will refresh him and gives life to him. It's a vital resource. This is a necessary uh, lesson for him to learn. In the Bible, water is always a symbol of life, eternal life, right? Jesus made reference to that. The book of Revelation makes reference to that. So the the provision of life is going to come from the well that he didn't dig. So it's teaching Moses, I will provide for you, Moses. You just need to sit there and I will lead, I will guide. And this is a starting ground for his tutoring for the next 40 years that he will have to rely on God and his resources. And basically, the idea is, Moses, you're going to learn to follow my lead. You're not going to take the lead. You're not going to act impetuous 
and start doing things in your own mind. You're going to stay on my path and you're going to have to do this if you're going to deliver Israel. I will provide, but you're not going to create another path. It is on my path that this crisis that the Hebrews are in will be set free from. So sit there and understand and learn for the next 40 years that I am God and Moses, you are not. And it took 40 years for him to learn that. What's some application for us? Well, the problem is that in the midst of crisis, the the answer is to follow God, obviously, because he will provide the way. He will show the way. But there are three things that you and I must do to access God's wisdom and his help and his provision and strength. It's not automatic just because you're a believer. Certain things must be a part of your attitude and your actions in order to access God's help. Well, number one, obviously you have to be a believer. So that's a given, okay? But when you're a believer, this is how you access this. Number one, we must reach out for the Lord's help. That seems so obvious that a five-year-old could understand, but yet believers don't do it. We need to ask for it. We need to seek it. Psalm 145, 18 through 19 says, The Lord is near to all, those, uh, uh, to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He, uh, he also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. This reaching out to God before you do anything, before you act, is, is vitally important. But it doesn't mean doing the religious thing, okay? Like so many people do. And basically, when they do the religious thing, it's human willpower to cope with things, to figure out things, to fix things. I'm going to clean up my life. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to be a religious person. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm just going to be a better person through my willpower and my commitments. That doesn't work because you're still doing self-effort. It won't transform a hopeless situation for you just to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try harder. That doesn't work. That doesn't put you on the path that God wants you to take. God's path doesn't depend on your willpower or my willpower or commitment. Okay, so it first starts reaching out. But then the second aspect is this. We must trust the Lord for his grace. Okay, so it's not a matter of willpower. It's a matter of his grace. The writer of Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As we trust God, he shows us the way. And God's way is through grace, which means that he provides that which we cannot provide for ourselves. And that's how we go to him like a little child, trusting in God for his provision and his control. See, trust is both an attitude and an action. You start taking one small step at a time until you realize that each step of faith is putting you on the path. And little by little, you're on the path. So finding the path is not passive, but it's an active process. But it's an active process of faith, not self-effort. And understand this, that God will reveal the next step for the path, but he won't reveal all the steps. He won't reveal all the path. He just simply says, by faith, take the next step. Do this, do that, no further than that. And he will send you the right people. You will eventually read the right scripture verse. You will have an impression maybe on your heart, who knows, a check in your spirit, but he will guide you. Someone maybe in your church will talk to you, another believer, something will happen and he will start guiding you. The third thing, and this is one of the most important things we could do to get the help from God, is we must humble ourselves before the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. James 4, 6 says, Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God gives us his resources, not by earning them or being special or being a good person. We have access to them only if we are humble. We have to come to the end of ourselves to understand that we have a condition known as spiritual poverty, or Jesus used the term poor in spirit. We are in desperate need of the Lord. We don't got this one, as they say. We have to go to the Lord. He is God and we are not. And we have to understand we need him desperately. 
for guidance, provision, everything, for strength. His resources will come then when we humble ourselves as a free gift by grace, not by effort. This is why God always invites us to him. Come to me, he says. Seek me. Knock and the door will be open. Ask and you will receive. Come boldly before the throne of grace in the name of the Messiah for grace and mercy in a time of help. That's what he does. He invites us and he wants to help. So God can help us during this crisis. God can help you and I through it all as long as we come to him in the right aspect of humility, trust, his grace and mercy will shower upon us and he will help us. I'll end on this illustration. E. Stanley Jones tells of a missionary who got lost in the African jungle. Nothing around him but bush and jungles and, and just a few cleared spaces. He found a native in a hut and he asked the native in the hut if he could help him out. The native said he could. He says, all right. Said the missionary, show me the way. The native said, well, walk. So they walked. And they hacked their way through unmarked jungle for more than an hour. And the missionary got a little worried. He says, are you quite sure this is the way? Where is the path? And the native said, in this place, there is no path. I am the path. In this crazy world that we're living in, especially with this coronavirus going on, there really is no path, worldly speaking. Jesus is the path. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When he said, I am the way, he was saying, I personally am the path. The path is not just simply an object laying before you. The path is a person. It's Jesus, and if you follow Jesus, never leave you astray. Let's pray. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.